Man, oh man, there is a lot of ocean shipping related legislation being proposed in the House of Representatives, right? And another one just dropped this week. Don't worry, we're going to break it all down. Remember, these are just proposals still, but they're worth taking a look at. Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain, presented by the Maritime Professor. That's me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies. And I'm your favorite maritime attorney. <laughs> Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and service transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice and there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. You need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, let's go through my top three stories of the week. <laughs> All right, story number one. This week, the state of California announced it would invest $27 million in California ports. That's great, right? Uh, so this, this, this initiative, this $27 million initiative in California is to support supply chain coordination through the California Port Data Partnership. Data. We keep hearing about data. This is great. California Port Data Partnership. So the ports involved are the port of Long, uh, ports of Long Beach and the ports of LA, uh, the port of Oakland, the port of San Diego, and the port of Wyneme. Um, so the five major ones, right, of California. Um, we've been talking a lot about data and standards and data management generally, right? And and I don't know about you, but it really feels like we're hitting kind of a turning point. Uh, we're definitely well on our way with developing ways to like strategically look at the data and how best to manage it. But this example in California, this port data system development, it's great, right? Um, but... And I've said this before, before we go too far down this road of different data system managements, right? I mean, if everybody's doing kind of their own thing, we need to make sure that we're looking at data standards and adopting a basic framework and language to really root all of these efforts in. Um, that's something the FMC Commissioner Carl Benzel said in his recent MTDI, the Maritime Transportation Data Initiative Report that was released last week that we covered last week. He said, basically, we need standards, right? We, it's, it's imperative that we kind of create standards. Um, and I keep hearing the same thing repeated throughout conversations on data, really, as, as people are starting to really kind of wake up to the data, being strategic about data, how do we make data a little more available? How do we keep things digitized so that we can move and, and have more efficiency? We have to have those standards, right? So we can certainly build these independent initiatives, but we have to have a way to link them all together. And I think, I think data standards is probably going to be that framework. Uh, related to this and also kind of concerning California ports, um, this week, the Port of Long Beach and the Port of Los Angeles signed an, a memorandum of understanding, so an MOU, to establish a green and digital shipping corridor. Let me repeat that again. It's a green and digital shipping corridor. We've seen some green corridors before, but this one's kind of cool. It has that digital shipping element to it. Look, as more information comes out, we're going to be covering this more in, in further detail. But I like that it's not only this green shipping corridor, but it's also a digital shipping corridor. Like I said, doesn't it feel like the industry is making a shift to digital and data-driven? I mean, it certainly feels like it to me. All right, story number two. 
I, I talked about this last week, but I just want to put it back on your radar. So next Wednesday, May 3rd, uh, the Federal Maritime Commission is going to be holding their commission meeting. Uh, they were supposed to have it on, what was it, the 29th of April, uh, or excuse me, uh, last week, the tw- whatever, it, it, it passed. They, they moved it. It's now going to be May 3rd. Um, so they are going to be covering some things. In their public session, Commissioner Carl Benzel is going to be talking about his maritime transportation data initiative. Um, I'm really interested to see the reaction of the other commissioners. Um, certainly, I'd, I'd love to hear uh, Commissioner Carl Benzel's um, take and, and kind of his presentation of this document. Um, like I said, we talked about it last week on By Land and By Sea. But I'm going to be interested to see what the other commissioners have to say on it, too. I think generally they're going to be probably supportive of, of data initiatives. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it was a report that kind of covered the the past year and a half almost two years of of work that he's done on it um but i'm I'm interested to see what the others have to say uh there's also going to be a staff briefing on the ocean shipping reform act of 2022 all of their implementation efforts i'm expecting we're probably going to get some updates on the rulemakings um remember we still have a supplemental rulemaking or a supplemental notice and comment period coming out for the unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations. Uh, Chairman Maffei has said previously that he thinks that this is kind of a very tricky, um, it's, it's nuanced. You have to get this one right. And so that's why they are opening this back up to comments um, based on the comments that were received the first time around. Uh, they thought there were some really good uh, questions posed. Um, one of them was, what is an export what is a documented export strategy? Some of the questions that, that the comments came in saying, is this an actual document that we have to now submit to the FMC? Or is this more of a general notion of, you know, if you can point to this is your export strategy, um, maybe it won't be considered unreasonable. And on the other on the other piece of that, what is unreasonable, right? What are some of the criteria for determining unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel-based accommodations? Um, that's, gonna, that's something that I'm looking out for. Um, when they do this staff briefing on Osra 22. Um, I also am going to be interested to see um, what what timeline they have for detention and demerge rulemaking, the, the billing, um, the, the billing information one. This is one that we're waiting on. Um, we've been told a few different times, um, Chairman Maffei mentioned in the budget hearing, um, and, and you never know, you know, there's always a million things that, that might hold a rulemaking um, to becoming final, just as they're kind of finishing up language and going through all the approvals uh, within the agency. But he had said at the budget hearing, what was that, almost a month ago, um, that he expected it at the end of the week. Um, but if nothing else, at the end of the month, uh, well, here we are probably at the end of that month that he had uh, anticipated, and uh, we're still waiting on the language. But I'm sure it's coming. Um, they actually have until June 16th, which is one year, uh, to finish that one up. Uh, we still haven't received any language on the third one, which is the un, um, unjust or unfairly discriminatory methods. Um, I think that one's going to be interesting. We haven't had any sort of, um, other than maybe some of the activities that the FMC has been doing with respect to some of the um, ocean carrier enforcement um, or audit teams, um, we really haven't had a lot of glimpses into what that might look like. So I'm really interested to see what that language is coming out. Uh, we're also going to get a staff briefing on the Bureau of Enforcement, Investigations, and Compliance, uh, the BEIC. Uh, previously, it was just the Bureau of Enforcement. Now they've expanded it to be Investigations and Compliance. Um I'm interested to see that. That's going to be, they're probably going to be talking maybe a little bit about the um, charge complaints. And um, remember, there was one that went to, uh, to an order to show cause. Um, 
I yeah, I think I think that'll be interesting. They also have a close to the public section of that, so I wonder um, how much they're going to be putting into the public part of it, and how much they're going to be putting into the closed session. Um, obviously, open investigations for the most part have to kind of default to the closed session. But I think this is going to be an interesting uh, FMC Commission hearing. You don't have to be there in person. Uh, they stream these out live on their FMC YouTube page. Yep, they have a YouTube page. Pretty cool. Um, so go check it out. Uh, it's going to be on Wednesday. Typically, they start at 10 a.m. Um, so yeah, I will uh, see you virtually online. All right, story number three. The National Shipper Advisory Committee is also scheduled to be um, to to meet in the next few weeks. They're going to be meeting May 11th at the Federal Maritime Commission headquarters. I'm only bringing this one to your attention um, really for two reasons, right? So the National Shipper Advisory Committee is a federal advisory committee that's at the Federal Maritime Commission. Um, this is the first, um, at least in recent history, maybe forever, uh, FACA, Federal Advisory Committee um, Act, um, group that I, I love this. I love this was part of Commissioner Dye, uh, Rebecca Dye's um, initiative uh, where she was kind of suggesting that they have these federal advisory committees to to help advise the the FMC as they move forward. Um, I, I love this group. I think that they're doing a great job. I think that they are very engaged. I think that they their conversations are really interesting. Um, this one is also going to be live streamed on the FMC's um, website, but also I think it gets pushed out to their YouTube page. Um, again, this is the National Shipper Advisory Committee. They're going to be meeting May 11th. Um, a little background so that NSAC, the the National Shipper Advisory Committee, is a federal advisory committee, um, operates under the provisions of the Federal Advisory Committee Act, FACA. Um, The committee was actually established January 1, 2021. Um, So they've been in existence now for, what's that, two years? Uh, when the National Defense Authorization Act, so the NDAA, which we know funds a lot of different programs um, or, or kind of provides the funding for otherwise um, approved activities, um, the committee provides insight, information, and expertise pertaining to conditions in the ocean freight delivery system to the commission. So like I said, this is an advisory group to the Federal Maritime Commission. Um, specifically, the committee advises the FMC on policies relating to the competitiveness reliability, integrity, and fairness of the International Ocean Freight Delivery System. Really, right? I mean, that's all. those are all the things that are in the FMC's mission anyway. So um, this is, the, it's a great group. I think that, I think it's a great idea having these federal advisory committees. Sometimes uh, federal advisory committees can be a little bit, well, they, they can get a bad rap, right? They, they, <laughs> they can be uh, meetings just for the sake of meetings. But I think that this one actually does do some, some interesting things. Um, you know, I, I think that federal advisory committees and specifically this one are important because it doesn't have to be predicated by a rulemaking for some sort of direct connection between the industry as a whole and the agency it's advising. Um, you know, the advisory group gets together, they discuss the issues of the industry, and then they send recommendations to the agency for the review. Um, sometimes they're adopted uh, if the agency wants. And, and you know, it's not an automatic adoption, but but the, it looks like the FMC has been, for the most part, responding to most of these recommendations that the advisory committee has been sending forward. Um, so, We did see a little bit of adoption of some of the recommendations in the recent MTDI, the Maritime Transportation Data Initiative Report, out of Commissioner Carl Benzel's office. Uh, In that report, they reference data requests that were made by the National Shipper Advisory Committee. Um, It's pretty cool to see it directly included there. So some of the other recommendations... Um, that they've put forward that they've related to our government inspections. So they recommended that the FMC codify a regulation that requires 
Fees related to government inspections be charged on a reduced scale to shippers. They recommended the following structure. They even presented a structure on how it should work uh, for terminals and vessel operating common carriers. And then uh, if, the, if government holds are released within initial free times. They talk about earliest return dates, uh, a recommendation to codify regulation in concert with the interpretive rule that prohibits any unreasonable application of charges on containers for early return dates. They have a recommendation on Ocean Carrier Advisory Committee. They say, in accordance with Fact Finding 29, which is one of uh, the the uh, fact findings of the commission, the recently announced data collection initiative mandated by the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, we recommend that the FMC initiate the establishment of an Ocean Carrier Advisory Committee comprised of ocean container carriers serving the U.S. within 120 days. So, I mean, these are these are some, like, actionable recommendations. They also talk about dwell fees. Um, they talk about intermodal oversight via through bills of lading, recommending uh, to expand the scope of the FMC to include oversight over all carriers, subcontractors, rate, demerge, detention, storage under any other name, terms, and conditions, and modes reflected on any bill of lading issued by an ocean carrier. They say, additionally, this recommendation requests that the FMC begins mandating the provision of accurate transit cargo location and container pickup return locations by containers, by, by carriers to shippers, and they're nominated to forwards and or brokers. Finally, in the event of a conflict between the terms of the UIIA, the Uniform Intermodal Interchange Access Agreement, and the FMC's oversight and interpretive rule, it is recommended that the terms of the FMC shall prevail. These are shippers, right? These are shippers. These are people that are out there moving goods. Um, and so that you know who's on here, it's it's a pretty wide range. It's We have Ikea, we have Tractor Supply, we have Wayfair, Ocean Spray Cranberries, Target, Gemini Shippers Group, Office Depot, Amazon, American Commodity Company, Cargill, Bosco Trading, and Tyson's Food, and, and many others. Uh, that's just kind of a, a, a snapshot, a glimpse of who's on this National Shipper Advisory Committees. But it has both small, medium-sized companies to some of the largest companies. It's it's really interesting. They don't often push out all of the announcements onto the main news, news and events press release of the FMC um, on, on the webpage. But this is something to check in every once in a while. Um, I'm going to have the, uh, the link to this actual website, um, the landing page on the FMC website, in the, the show notes. I think you should go check it out. There's some really interesting things. The same way that the MTDI has its own landing page, the National Shipper Advisory Committee has its own landing page. And it really is a fascinating look through to see what they've recommended, um, what the exchange is, some of these, these things, most of these things, the, the recommendations. The FMC has actually responded to already, um, which is pretty cool that they've responded to it. They've talked about what things they they will or they will not be adopting in some instances. Sometimes they're talking about a method for actually looking for further into it for consideration. Uh, there's some pretty interesting discussions and, and just movement that's happening on this page. So it doesn't always get the same play as everything else that the FMC has going on. They have a lot. But I think this National Shipper Advisory Committee webpage is something worth checking out. All right. Well, that's enough of the stories of the day. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the day. So we're talking about all the legislation that's coming forward. There's a lot, and it seems like it's coming mostly out of the House and mostly out of John Garamendi's office, um, a congressman from California. So the first one, we have a few that we've talked about before. We, we've taken kind of inventory of, of these acts that have been proposed. And remember that these are just acts that are proposed 
on the House side so far. So in order for it to become a law eventually, right? I mean, then then we go into um, the <laughs> the the how does a how does a bill become a law? So we go we have um, the House side proposes it, and then the Senate side would have to propose a similar bill, and then they both have to get passed through, and then they both have to be matched up, and once they get matched up. If they've both been approved, then it goes to the president's office for signature. So we are come nowhere near the the end sides of that process, right? This is just a House introduction. This is how OSRA 22 started, too. The House introduced something, and then the Senate came along a little bit later and changed it a little bit and uh, and proposed their own version. So House uh, Congressman John Garamendi and a few others, um, Jim Cross, Costa, John, Josh Harder, Jim Panetta, and South Dakota Republican Dusty Johnson, um, introduced the Ocean Shipping Antitrust Enforcement Act. And this act, we've talked about before, is a little bit tricky in that they want to get rid of all antitrust um, immunity that, uh, that the Ocean Carrier Alliances have. Basically, they want to get rid of Ocean Carrier Alliances. I'm not so sure about this one. I think alliances serve a very important role in global ocean shipping. And remember, alliances don't just serve the U.S., they serve the entire globe. So if this were to happen here, it puts it could potentially put the U.S. in a, in a strange position or it could kill alliances worldwide. Uh, maybe that's what they're trying to go for here. But that one we've talked about previously before, uh, but that one's something to – I don't think it's going to get a lot of – movement. Um, I think it was more maybe a political statement, maybe not. Um, but I think, you know, ocean carriers were kind of out of vogue for a while. Uh, I just don't think killing alliances is the way to go. Um, I Ultimately, honestly, I think that this might turn into consolidation. Under alliances, the ocean carriers are not allowed to discuss rates. But if they buy each other up, I mean, that's that's getting subsumed into their company, they can talk about rates all they want if it's all one company. So at least with the alliances, we can manage and monitor these otherwise monopolistic activities, these otherwise antitrust activities. And that's basically what we're saying is through these vessel sharing agreements, these alliances, we are allowing this otherwise monopolistic behavior to happen. But the FMC is watching. The FMC is monitoring. That's what they've been task to do. And they do it well. These That's why these alliances are filed with the FMC. So that one was proposed. Um, I haven't seen anything on the Senate side. I don't expect to see anything, but let me know if, if anything starts moving there. We also have an Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2023 that's been proposed, basically OSRA 2.0. Uh, originally, it was OSRA Technical Corrections, and then it got expanded. Uh, the co-sponsors are, of course, John Garamendi. Again, like I said, pretty much all of these are John Garamendi's office and um, Congressman Dusty Johnson. Uh, they have two interesting points in here that I've raised before, but it was an open data standards rulemaking, which I think starts to get on the right track. Although uh, the language there was a little, it'd be interesting to see what what finally comes of of a rulemaking for open data standards, and if if a rulemaking is where we want to go with that. And then the second one was there's a Seaport Advisory Committee recommendation as part of this rulemaking where they recommend that 16 port authorities and eight marine terminal operators join together and create a National Seaport Advisory Committee, similar to the National Shipper Advisory Committee that would advise the Federal Maritime Commission. I mean, you know how I feel. I I've, I think that these advisory committees, as long as they're targeted, as long as they have a purpose, 
um, are are a good thing. I think that this is moving in the the that piece. The the National Seaport Advisory Committee Commissioner Dye has also said that she thinks that a Seaport Advisory Committee is worthy and and something that she's recommended in in one of her previous fact finding final rules as well. There's also a birthing preference. Um, if you actually tuned into Sirius XM this week, I was on with Grace Sharkey. We were on drive time um, during the happy hour, 5 to 7. I believe it was on Wednesday. Uh, you can listen to it on, on uh, demand. But we were talking about this one, the birthing preference. This is called American Port Access Privileges Act. This one was presented by Congressman John Garamendi again, uh, Jim Costa, Jim Panetta, and Mike Thompson, um, all of California. And what it says is this legislation puts U.S. exporters at the front of the line at our ports, supporting the American economy and reducing our longstanding trade deficit. So essentially, there's two pieces that I want to highlight here. Uh, this is if anyone wants to follow the bill. It's H.R. 1013-1013. Um, it, it, it's being pitched as saying ensures fair trade for U.S. businesses and keeps hard-won foreign markets accessible to California's exporters. What it does is it has some birthing preference to it. So it basically says we would like to codify the current preferences for Military Jones Act and other U.S. flag vessels in place at many American ports. So they're saying basically Military Jones Act and U.S. flag vessels would be able to potentially skip the line if we were to have another 100 vessels offshore, 150 vessels offshore. These military, which I think I don't think anyone's going to maybe um, contest that, but on the other hand, Probably military vessels aren't necessarily going to the same commercial vessels that these container cargo uh, vessels are going to. Um, but it was interesting when when I was talking to Grace, um, you know, she was kind of saying in in the trucking world, would you want someone to be able to skip the line if it was you were you were going somewhere and Walmart had the preference or or whatever company it was that had the preference? You've been waiting, and here comes somebody, and they're just going to slide in line. I don't know. This one's an interesting one. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but I think that there's some really interesting conversation happening around this. The second part of this is that it would also establish a secondary berthing preference for ocean-going commercial vessels servicing multiple ports in the U.S. or with significant cargo booking for American exports. So this is basically giving preference to anybody that has a lot of exports, that or or booked exports, or if you're going multiple ports in the U.S. So basically, likely you'd be picking up more exports if you're kind of hitting the different ports. You can't, unless you're a Jones Act vessel, and Jones Act is for the most part U.S. flagged, you can't pick up in Oakland and then drop off in L.A. But you can pick up in Oakland and then pick up in L.A. if you're a foreign flag and then go somewhere else. And that's what they're saying is we'd like to see these uh, foreign vessels hit more ports on the U.S. And so this is going to give preference to those vessels to encourage more port activity. Um, this one specifically highlights the Port of Oakland. Like I said, John Germendi was was the primary um, sponsor here. But I think that, like I said, I think this one's an interesting one. I'd love to hear more conversation. I really haven't had a lot of conversation or heard a lot of conversation on this specific proposal. Um, but I think that this is one worth taking a look at. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere either. Um, you know, I think that, so the the benefit to, the U.S. doesn't have a lot of U.S. flag vessels in place. And so the benefit to having a lot of U.S. flag vessels, as I'm sure you've heard Dr. Sal Mercogliano talk about before, is that if we were to be in time of emergency or time of war, it's called the Ready Reserve Fleet. And so it's sea lift. And so what happens, basically, you could turn these U.S. flag, otherwise commercial vessels, into potentially military or defense or some sort of support role 
if we were to need it for alternative purposes, because there already are vessels, right? They're U.S. flag vessels. I mean, that's that's a reason to kind of help promote the U.S. flag fleet to help build up that that fleet. And if the U.S. flag, which sometimes is is said to have been more expensive, but certainly the past few years we saw crazy rates on on shipments. If it's if it has that reliability, if it has that berthing preference, maybe that's going to be a competitive advantage for a U.S. flag vessel. I don't know. This one's interesting. Like I said, this is going to be one to kind of keep following. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to move anywhere, but American Port Access Privileges Act uh, with this berthing preference on certainly there's there's a few more things that it's promoting, but uh, those are the two main things that I wanted to to point out. So the last one. And the one that came out this week is the Ocean Shipping Competition Enforcement Act. So I don't, I don't know if they're making all of these acts so similar to be confusing or if it's just similar to try to have some, some continuity among the language. Uh, but we have the Ocean Shipping Antitrust Enforcement or anti, what was it? The Antitrust Ocean Shipping Antitrust Enforcement Act, and then now this one is the Ocean Shipping Competition Enforcement Act, H.R. 2710. I've talked about this one before, or this notion of this bill gets at the the essence of the FMC is not allowed to deny alliance agreements that come to it. So they have been tasked with reviewing proposed agreements between ocean carriers or marine terminal operators to ensure that any such agreements are not unreasonably anti-competitive and and that they don't go against notions of the Shipping Act. And they can't just say we don't like it, right? It has to be kind of rooted in otherwise anti-competitive, otherwise super monopolistic, otherwise there has to be a reason for denial. But that's the thing. The FMC is not allowed to deny in-house. They get the agreement for this, let's say it's an alliance. They have 45 days to review it. And if they have questions, they can certainly toll that 45 days by asking a question, stops the clock, buys the FMC potentially more time in that moment. But it also, I mean, that that's not necessarily why it's used. It's used more for if they have real questions about the agreement, they, they go back to the filers and say, hey, can you answer some of these questions? We have further concerns, further questions, further whatever. And so then the, the answers come in and then the clock starts back up. And after 45 days, if nothing has happened, if the FMC hasn't, so basically what they have to do is they have to take, they have to in, uh, file an injunction with a federal court to district court um, to basically saying, we'd like to enjoin this agreement. We'd like to stop this agreement. They can't in-house say, we want to stop this agreement, they have to take them to court. Anybody who's been anywhere near the court system, no, that's that's a big, that's a that's a big lift, right? That's that's a big thing to do. Um, they only have 45 days to do it. It's a relatively small agency, right? We we've talked to they're anywhere from 120 to maybe 150. They're they're getting more people, but they're a relatively small agency. And so basically everything would have to stop to use it. So that's kind of some of the reasons for having this. This is what's being proposed by Garamendi's office, is that this FMC would be allowed to block these agreements or deny these agreements for ocean carriers or even MTOs if they were determined to be unreasonably anti-competitive in-house. Seems like a great idea, right? I mean, it seems just kind of initially you're like, why wouldn't they be able to do that? But then you start to think about it. And this is what uh, Grace and I were talking about this week on SiriusXM. You start to think about it. And the FMC hasn't had to do that yet. 
Okay. Not saying that they wouldn't ever need to. We went through a lot of crazy times the past two or three years. Um, But is it creating, and here's one of the things that's been proposed, is that maybe it's creating solutions for problems that don't exist. One of my thoughts is what if somebody were to propose an agreement that had an 80% market share? Not that it ever would happen, but we didn't think $20,000 for uh, a Asia to West Coast route would ever happen either. So I guess I'm still kind of of this crazy things happen these days. So I don't know. This is interesting. Um, Also, it's just another way that the government is interfering with private business. Like I said, there was a move, kind of a shift with with saying that the ocean carriers were the bad guys. I don't necessarily think that they necessarily were. Maybe there were some bad decisions. But as in general, they, they, they still provided goods, right? They kept the world moving. They still provided PPE. They still had a lot of good things happening. Um, and the FMC is systematically going through some of the, you know, maybe bad decisions that were made. It was a wild time. But does this mean that the FMC should or should not be able to deny those agreements in-house. Perhaps a threshold would be appropriate here. Perhaps anything filed over 60% is automatically denied um, on this anti-competitive. Maybe then you'd have to get into the minutia of, well, what does market share represent? Is it the companies themselves or is it just the vessel capacity that's dedicated to the vessel sharing fleet? Gets complicated quickly, right? This one's also interesting because FMC commissioners Max Vekich and Carl Benzel requested in December 2022, so just a couple months ago, that the U.S. House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, the T&I Committee, which is where Garamendi serves, they requested this critical change to be made. Um, in general, this is something it seems like most of the commissioners support. I don't know. This one's interesting. If If they're reviewing these agreements, it seems like a notion of... It makes sense that they should also be able to deny them. But it also, you know, on the other hand, makes sense that you want that that pause, that you need to file this in court to block it, because that's a lot of power to have to be able to block some of these agreements. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say on this. This one, you know, initially when I first started talking about alliances and agreements and, and you know, the, the non-denial authority of the FMC, it was like wild that they couldn't deny it in-house and that some other judge who may or may not have ocean shipping related knowledge would now be the, the ultimate determiner. But then again, like I said, the other hand is this is federal involvement in in otherwise private industry. I don't know. I'm 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 interested to hear all the arguments. I have been so fascinated. This came out this week, but there this has been talked about for months now. I've been so fascinated to hear all the different arguments on this one. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Put it in the comments. Put it in the chat. Uh, let's let's you know send me a message. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. This one is interesting. Like I said, it's it's a House bill. All of these are House bills. They don't necessarily have a Senate partner yet, so they're not necessarily going anywhere in, in the moment. Doesn't mean that they won't. Maybe we're losing a little bit of political capital and a little bit of political momentum to address ocean shipping. We certainly went through this. Everybody in society was concerned about what was happening in ocean shipping to maybe less so now that things are starting to move. There's a lot going on out there. I'm, I'm going to keep watching it. But thanks for joining. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney contact an attorney. But if you do have any specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, the e-learning, the general industry information and insights, 
come find me at the Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or if you missed any previous episodes, check out the podcast, this one, By Land and By Sea. If you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page, By Land and By Sea, presented by the Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. E-courses are dropping soon. I swear I'm back at it. I want to get these out to you. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, the Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and By Sea. See you next time.